following audio was recorded at Stone Oak Bible Church. For more information about our church or for more resources, visit us at stoneoakbible.com. Church, happy Mother's Day. I, uh, scripture tells us, right, that we are to honor our father and our mother. Well, this is the day set aside where we get to focus our hearts on fulfilling that, living out that command, honoring our mother, a day that has been set aside to give honor, uh, gratitude, and uh, to show, our, show how grateful we are to bless them. I, I, I put this quote in the weekly this week, but it was, it was good enough. I, I wanted to read it. All right. So in this in this article, the the writer talking about Mother's Day as followers of Jesus uh, says this: Once we have identified that method, and he's talking here about the way we honor our mother. Once we have identified that method, once we know what it is, we are to render honor to that one person God used to give us our greatest earthly blessing. I thought that was beautiful. Just a reminder to us, um, if you're here and you're a mother, we want to honor you. We're grateful for you. Hardest job on the planet. Um, And I would encourage you, we also have a small gift for you as you leave, but I would encourage you, just whoever you are, um, to go out of your way today to show honor. Um, To your mother, if you have that privilege, uh, but don't let it stop there. Let's be a people who show honor. Amen. Um, I am excited about this morning. I hope you're doing well. If you do have your Bibles, would you grab them and would you open with me to Genesis 33? As we look at this text, we're getting to the place where our Jacob narrative kind of is coming to an end. Um, And when I say that, I I know it's not over. We're going to hear about Jacob later. But we're, he's not going to be the centerpiece anymore. So we're coming to, to the end, and um, as we look at this text this morning in, in chapter 33, I want us to not only look at this text, but I'd love for us to zoom out, pan out a little bit, to do our best to see some things in Jacob's life that kind of come to the surface. Um, things that really come to a head here as we look at chapter 33. So now, as we're getting here, um, to prepare us a little bit for this moment, have you ever had anything in your life that you have just been dreading? Like, dreading for me, it's any and every time I go to the dentist. Um, Just dreading it. Like, don't want to ever see this happen. And you get yourself, like, your stomach gets kind of tied in knots as you think about it. And, And you do this to yourself, but you build it up. And that little dentist appointment where they're just going to scrape on your teeth, which is terrible, um, becomes this massive thing in your mind. You build it up, the expectation, it gets bigger and bigger and bigger. Then the day finally gets here, right? And you have the butterflies or you're nauseous, one of the two. But it finally gets here. The day is here, right? This is that moment. Genesis 33 is the dentist moment, all right? It is that, that moment. It is here. See, Jacob and Esau's lives, they had been just torn apart. 
through division, through strife, um, huge fallout. It ended in a death threat. I don't know if you remember this, but our little saga here, they, they, they left with a death threat. If you think back at Genesis 27, now Esau hated Jacob, verse 41 said, because of the blessing which his father had blessed him. And Esau said to himself, here it is, the day of mourning for my father, the days of mourning for my father are approaching. Then I will kill my brother Jacob. Hear that? He's saying, you know, look, dad's not going to be around forever. And when daddy's not here anymore, Jacob, you are going down. You are going down. Now, 20 years since that death threat, um, 20 years had come and 20 years had gone. And we get to chapter 33. And with that feeling, like the last you heard from him was a death threat. With that in your mind, verse 1 of chapter 33, and Jacob lifted up his eyes and looked and behold, Esau is coming. The dentist is here, right? Esau is coming. If this were the movie, if we were to make a movie, this would be the cinematic music. You would feel it, this expectation of this moment. Look up, behold, Esau is here. You know, Esau that Jacob had tricked and deceived twice at least, probably more than that. Um, Esau, the brother who vowed to kill Jacob. Esau, big, burly, hairy, angry, Hangry Esau. This was Esau. Looks up. He's coming. And not only that, if you read our text, it says, behold, Esau was coming. He wasn't alone, though. 400 men with him. And that's not good. That's not what you want to see. 400 men, armed dudes with the brother who vowed to kill you. You look up and behold. Your brother's walking towards you with a small army. Esau's coming. Right, this brings us back, it should, brings our attention back to Genesis 32, because we see some really important things that, that took place here, um, especially as we think about prayer. Because if you remember uh, last chapter, Jacob just had this crazy night of wrestling with the Lord, wrestling with the Lord, and, and, and he just pleads with the Lord, would bless me, bless me. He pleads with him. And here Jacob is coming off of that moment, the most pivotal keystone moment in Jacob's life. He's coming off of this moment where God hears him, where God not only hears him, but where God answers him. Have you ever had one of those Genesis 32 moments? Those moments where you just are pleading for God to intervene. You're pleading for God to help. You're pleading for God to heal, to change things, to fix things. You're pleading. You're just, you're pleading. If you've ever had one of those wrestling moments, this is what Jacob was coming off of. And right after he comes out of this wrestling match, he looks up and behold, after this moment of prayer, wrestling, answered prayer, he looks up and behold, guess what? Esau is still coming. After all that prayer, after all that wrestling, after answered prayer, Esau is still coming. He still has to confront his angry brother and the 400 armed dudes coming with him. This obstacle, this moment of reckoning for Jacob was still standing right there in front of him. Behold, he looked up and Esau was coming. And this is big 
for us to see. We're just going to start with this. It's big for us to see because this is often the way that God works. We meet with him. We plead with him. And then God shows up and we walk out of that encounter changed. We, God shows up, works on us and in us. See, we plead for God to change everything around us. And God takes it a step further and changes us. God didn't just magically take the obstacle from Jacob. He looks up and behold, there he is. The point of prayer, in other words, is not to get our God in alignment with us and our will. The point of prayer is to get ourselves in alignment with your God. The point of prayer is is for God to intervene, not only in the world and change all of that and go before us, but the point of prayer is for God to intervene in us, to change us. And that's, I'll put it like this, sometimes the hardest work, the most important work, is not God moving the mountains, it's God changing you. That's it. That's the most important work, is that God through his power, changes us, grows us. And Jacob is coming off of that moment. And if you hear the cinematic music, he looks up, and behold, Esau is coming. There's so much here, but let's, pu- let's push on. So he, that's our man Jacob. This is weird, by the way. He divides his children <laughs> among Leah and Rachel, two female servants, puts the servants with their children in front, Leah, then Leah and her children, and then Rachel and, you know, that Joseph, last of all, right? Um, pause. It's just not right. Jacob is a work in progress, all right? Just a work. He, he's basically putting his family in pecking order here, like, you're my favorite, then you, then you, then, then lastly you, right? That's kind of what he's doing here, just, oh, Jacob. Um, but in this next verse, this is really important. Because although Jacob is a work in progress, we're going to see some things from Jacob that we wouldn't expect. Verse 3, he himself, Jacob himself, went on before them, bowing himself to the ground seven times until he came near to his brother. Okay, this is big because this is different. This is different. This is not what I would have expected from our man Jacob, from what I know about him. Um, You know what I would have expected him to do? I would have expected him to look around, find a dude that kind of looks like him, take off his jacket, put it on that guy, and say, go. Just you go. And then while that guy's going, Jacob then go around back and ambush the dude. Or just steal his goats and leave. That's what I would have expected from Jacob. But that's not what we see. We see Jacob here. I don't expect him to man up in this way. But we see Jacob here, the trickster, the deceiver, manning up. And he himself going before them, he himself going to face his brother and those 400 dudes, that's not what we would have expected from Jacob. Again, that night with the Lord seems to have changed some things in Jacob. And then listen, it didn't just end with with that, but in verse 4 you see this strong contrast word here, but Esau. But Esau ran to meet him and embraced him and fell on his neck and kissed him and they wept. This is a contrast word here, that but. It's also not what we would have expected. This is nothing like we would have expected in this text. Esau runs to meet him. Esau embraces him. They weep together. Let's be clear here, church. This was answered prayer. 
God showed up and answered prayer. If you remember last chapter, verse 11, um, Jacob pleads, says, please deliver me from the hand of Esau. He pleads for him, and then Jacob even says, I fear him that he may come attack me, the moms, and the children. He says this, verse 11, he pleads to God, would you deliver me? And here Jacob stands before his brother with his entire family embracing. This is an answered prayer. Answered prayer. In verses 5 through 7, Jacob introduces Esau to his crew, his family. Then in verse 9, Esau says, brother, I have enough. Keep what you have for yourself. In other words, I don't need anything from you. I don't need a peace offering. I don't need you to to give me anything. But Jacob says in verse 10, no, please, please, please. If I found favor in your sight, then accept my present from my hand. And then don't miss this. Jacob says, for I have seen your face, which is like seeing the face of God and you have accepted me. What is Jacob saying here? Uh, He just wrestled with the Lord. He just saw the face of God, and then here, Jacob looks at Esau and says, it's like seeing the face of the Lord. What is he saying? What does that mean? Church, Jacob recognized God moving. Jacob recognized. It, It would be like us saying, oh, I see the hand of God all over that. That's what Jacob is saying. He, he, he's saying God is in this. God has moved in this. God has done this. Jacob just saw God in prayer, leaves that prayer, and then sees God in the situation that he's walking into. He sees God. And there's something huge here to see because we often can miss the hand of God in the world around us because we aren't familiar with his hand in our prayer life. Jacob just came off of off of his knees, we don't recognize God's hand in our lives because we aren't communing with him. When we begin to recognize God's hand in our life in prayer, then all of a sudden it is so incredible how our eyes are open to the way that God is moving all around us. That's what Jacob just walked into. That's what Jacob just saw. He recognizes God's hand. And he even says it in verse 11, please accept my blessing that is brought to you because God has dealt graciously with me. I want to point your attention to something and uh, we'll spend the rest of our time digging into this. Um, Jacob, oh Jacob, was a work in progress. He was. He was called, he was given a promise, he was a child of the promise. All of that is true, yet his life was a life of struggle. It was a life of slow progress. He was being slowly refined and sanctified. And by the way, if we look at Genesis, his struggles aren't over yet. He's still got a few more big hurdles that are coming his his way. But we see him being slowly sanctified. God graciously and slowly refining Jacob. And that church is something that you and I share in common with Jacob. I'll put it like this. Our justification, 
um, our salvation. God did that and it is done, completed through the work of Jesus Christ. Done. He took your sin, you are forgiven, adopted, and you stand justified before the Lord. In other words, when, when God looks at you, he sees the perfection of Jesus. And that is done. You are saved, justified. It is done. Signed, sealed, delivered. Done. That song's in your head now, isn't it? You're welcome. Um, it's like Jacob. God had made, he had made him a promise. It was his. He was the child of the promise. It was done. That was the work of grace on his life. It's done. The same is true for you in Christ. The same is true. It is done. You're a child of the promise. It's completed. You stand justified. And while that is true, you brother, you sister are a work in progress. Sanctification is a slow, um, painfully slow, at times, process. When God just graciously conforms us more and more into the image of Jesus, makes us more and more like Jesus. When you came to Jesus, um, you were made a child, and then as a loving father, God now disciplines and guides you in his love for his good. You are a work, church, in progress. And the point of your life um, <laughs> is not for God to show up and then for him to make your life perfect and comfortable from then on out. Um, it's, it's not like you come to Christ, you hear the gospel, you respond to the gospel, and then you get set in first class on your way to heaven. I was going to say I wish it were like that, but I don't even wish that. Because the plan that God has for us is better than that. When you respond to the gospel, God in his loving grace does not leave you where you are. Instead, through his spirit, he begins to work on you. Chisel you. Refine you. When you respond to the gospel, that's when the growth begins. The sanctification begins until the day when it's all over and we are glorified and see Jesus face to face. You're a work in progress. And like Jacob, God is not done with you. He is patient. He is kind. Let me say it again. He's patient. He is kind. He disciplines those he loves. He disciplines us, goes before us in the same way he went before Jacob. This scene was shocking because neither of these men Neither of these men were what we expected to see. See, Jacob just had an encounter with God, and he was changed, being sanctified. And Esau, nothing like we expected from him. It just shows answered prayer, God going before Jacob. As Jacob identified, this is God's work, this is God's grace, both in him and for him. And there's, there's a few things that I would like for us to pull out of this and, and for us to, to really consider this morning. I believe the Lord has something here for us. Um, the first thing that I want us to see here is that some of us have been praying for God to do the impossible to change your circumstances. When God 
is wanting to do the impossible to change you. That you having encountered God can then approach your circumstances differently with boldness, not fear, with peace, not anxiety. Um, I want us to think about this like a parent. Uh, um, I, I hope you've heard of this, but there's a new thing going on in the parenting world. It used to be, it used to be helicopter parenting. Anyone heard of helicopter parenting? It's this, uh, this trend in, in parenting where, where you kind of hover <laughs> over your kids at all times. So at the drop of a hat, you can just drop down in there, intervene. You just kind of hover. They go up a slide or go upstairs, you're there, right? They go down a slide, you're there, right? It's, it's helicopter parenting. We've heard of that, but, but it's morphed a little bit. Um, it's changed a little bit, and there's this new phenomenon in parenting called snowplow parenting. Have any of you heard of this? All right, a few of us? All right, so this is fun. Um, the New York Times released several articles about this in March. Uh, especially, it, they document it because they've seen it throughout our nation. Uh, especially coming to the surface after the whole college scandal where mommy and daddy were doing crossing ethical and legal lines to get little Sally into school, that, that whole deal. It came to the surface during that time. Um, but here's the, the, here it is. It's not just hovering over your kids. It, it's going a step further. This is the parenting technique where parents will actively go in front of their children like a snowplow, pushing away all of the obstacles that they may face. Clearing the path, any obstacles that little Sally might encounter to make sure that our child's life is free of those obstacles. We, we, that is snowplow parenting. Now, do you know what happens to children who are blessed with snowplow parents? They never face obstacles. And because of that, they never grow up. They're never able to handle obstacles on their own. In fact, the first New York Times article that came out about this, here's the title of it, How Parents Are Robbing Their Children of Adulthood. That, that yes. So children of snowplow snow parents become teenagers, students, and adult age, but these children never step into, they're never able to step into adulthood. They're not able to face circumstances in life because they never had to, because mom and dad did that for them. Let me say something profound this morning. Your heavenly father is not a snowplow father. Your heavenly father, praise God, is not a snowplow father. And I want to encourage you to stop expecting him to be your divine snowplow. Sure, there's going to be times when he does do that. He goes before you and parts that Red Sea, for example. Those times happen. But you know what is far more common that we see in Scripture, far more common than what we see in our lives, is that our Heavenly Father provides us strength 
lovingly disciplines us and guides us and strengthens us, refines us, that we grow up into his grace. That that we are able to face life and to face the circumstances of life through his strength and by his grace. This is why, by the way, we count it all joy when we encounter obstacles and trials of various kinds. This is why. This is why when you come to Jesus, you don't expect, poof, life's problems are over. That we would be free of obstacles. I say it again. Some of us have been praying that God would do the impossible and to change all of the circumstances around us when this morning God wants to do something far greater, and that is to change us. As we walk through these things, are you being refined? Are you being stretched? Um, it's, not, it's not that it's fun in the moment. But are you being stretched right now? If you are, praise God. He is growing you for his glory. I want to build on this a little bit. So let's, let's take that. Let's build it a little more. Some of us have been praying for God to do the impossible, to change your circumstances, once and for all. And this morning, God is wanting to do the impossible to change you day by day. When Jesus was teaching his disciples how to pray, do you remember? Give us this day, what? Our daily, our daily bread. Our daily bread mean God will provide day by day what you need to grow in grace. I think of this, um, I'm a runner, forgive me. I think about this as though I were to go sign up for a marathon right now. And then I just sit there and pray that God would give me the strength. Just, Just give me the strength to cross that finish. Just praying from my couch under a blanket in my living room, sipping coffee in my PJs, praying that God, would you just come and boom, give me strength. I can do it now. Just give me the strength. Somehow expecting that on race day, I'm gonna be able to roll off that couch, be able to slip on those shoes, tie them up real nice, and then set out and run the once and for all race. Just The race of the ages. Just crush it. Cross that finish line 26.2 miles later. For any runner here, you know how completely foolish that is. For any runner here, you know that the joy is not just found in the crossing of that finish line. For any runner here, you know that the joy of crossing that finish line comes from all of those day-to-day decisions. All of those early and late runs all of those decisions and those sacrifices that go into that. For for any runner here, you know that the joy of crossing that finish line is because of the day-to-day work that went in. Sometimes I catch myself treating my life, my life marathon, like I expect to just sit on my couch and my muscles just magically grow And I just expect, somehow without training, without work, without obstacles, to just be carried to that finish line. 
And sometimes I forget about the daily work that is in progress. God wants to work on you and in you day by day. Day by day. See, Jacob was given a promise, and now God slowly refines him, slowly grows him. He didn't go from trickster to perfection in a moment. He didn't. Our text is a good example of that. He did not. Um, But he was growing. He was being slowly refined and sanctified. Yes, there will be, by the way, an incredible joy when we cross that finish line. But the joy, there's also an incredible joy that comes from the day-to-day daily bread, the day-to-day work. Paul, uh, the writer of Hebrews, says, let us run the race with endurance that is set before us. I'm reminded of Paul's words in, in 1 Corinthians 9, who says, run that you may obtain that prize. He said, I don't run aimlessly. I don't box as one beating the air. No, I discipline my body and keep it under control. The more I think about this, church, the more I think our prayers should be focused on our daily bread. The day-to-day training, because we don't train aimlessly, as Paul says. I believe we are seeing God providing for Jacob with his daily bread here in this moment, sanctifying him. And this is, how, this is how he does it. I wish sometimes it was just a once and for all boom, right? But that is not how God in his sovereignty works with us as his kids. So God is not your snowplow, but he's your strength and wisdom and he is your peace through the trial and through every single obstacle you face. And God is not only concerned about your finish line, He wants to work in you and through you daily. Day to day, you are a work in progress. Let's build on it one more time. Lastly, I believe some of us have been praying for God to do the impossible, to change our circumstances once and for all for our glory. When this morning God is wanting to do the impossible, to change you day by day for his glory glory. This is subtle. And some of you just read that and you're like, oh, pastor, I got this. I never pray for my own glory. Hear me out, though. This is so important. When we have an encounter with God, when we walk out of an encounter with God, like the one Jacob just walked out of in Genesis 32, when we see God's face, when we see God's hand, you don't walk out of that encounter concerned about your own glory. You don't. You do not. You, when you see God's face, God's hand, you can't help but join in with Jacob who says, God has graciously dealt with me. When we encounter God, we walk away, not concerned with our own glory. We walk away concerned about his and his fame. I I found this um, definition of uh, glorifying God. And this comes from from John Piper, who has kind of made it his life mission to only talk about the glory of God. So this is his thing. It's a good thing. If you're going to have a thing, this is a good one. But this is his thing. And this is the definition that that he gives. 
for glorifying God. To glorify God is the, the feeling and thinking and acting in ways that reflect his greatness, that make much of God, that give evidence of the supreme greatness of all his attributes and the all-satisfying beauty of his perfection. How is that? That's, that's awesome. I had to read that like seven times just to fully grasp what is being said there. But just as Jacob does not take credit for that restored relationship, he doesn't walk up to Esau and be like, boom, I knew it. I knew Esau and I were good. Right? He doesn't take credit for it. When God moves and when we experience God moving in us and going before us, we are left to state the obvious. That was God. That was a work of God. God, okay, your God is not interested in your glory. He'd be cruel if he was. God is interested in his glory. And the enemy has caused us to believe this lie. That, that we would be the happiest if we got all the glory. It, the problem is, is that is a lie. Because we experience the greatest joy, the greatest happiness when we stop trying to take the glory that's not ours. And when we glorify him like we were created to do as the only one worthy. When we approach our God as a means to our own glory, when we claim, when we come to him and we pray for him to do the impossible, to change our circumstances once and for all for our glory, when we approach our God like that, our God becomes nothing more than a means to our ends. And God is not interested in being the means to your ends. But when we come to him, praying for him to do the impossible, to change us day by day for his glory, we're able to see in our lives what we see in this text, that we are a work in progress, that, that God is not done with us. And not only does our God want to change the world, but he wants to change us from the inside out for his glory. In Jacob's story, we see God's hand at work restoring a broken relationship. 20 years of entangled nastiness of a relationship. We see God restoring it. In fact, in verses 12 through 20, we see Esau departing peacefully. And would you notice with me as, we, as this finishes, verse 17, but Jacob journeyed to Succoth. And, and built himself a house and made booths for his livestock. Therefore, the name of the place is called Succoth. And uh, Jacob came safely to the city of Shechem, which, hear this, is in the land of Canaan. Take that in. On his way to Padan Haram, he camped before the city. He makes his way into the land, the land that was promised. So, Take this in through all of the mess, through all of the wandering, the brokenness, the deception, through the saga, 20 years of brokenness. Jacob ends up right back where the Lord had called him to be. 
In fact, verse 19 and 20 says, um, And from the sons of Hamor, Shechem's father, he bought for a hundred pieces of money the, the piece of land on which he had pitched his tent. And then verse 20, And he erected an altar, and he called it Elohe, El Elohe Israel, meaning the God of Israel. So take this all in. The saga ends with Jacob worshiping God on the land that God promised. After it all. Now, he took a really long, ridiculous road to get there. But after it all, after it all, he lands right back in the place where God has, ha- has called him to go. God's sovereign hand was on him the entire way. He never left him. God never took his hand off of him. He never took the promise away from him. No, you are a work in progress, and your God will not quit. He will not give up. He will not stop. He is patient. He is kind. His love is steadfast. His faithfulness is new each and every single morning. And like Jacob, his promise, his plan will never be stopped because he is sovereign. He is in control. And day by day, God is giving you what you need, sanctifying you for his glory. Church, through Christ, we, like Jacob, have been given a promise. Through Christ, we are people of the promise. And like Jacob, we who are the people of the promise are works in progress, being slowly perfected for his glory. And like Jacob, through that process, your God has not given up on you. Some of you need to hear that. It is really discouraging sometimes to be sanctified slower than we think we should be. And we think, God, if I were you, I would give up on me. We wouldn't say that out loud, but that's how we feel. Your God has not and will not give up on you. His faithfulness is new to you each and every single morning. And like Jacob, God is growing you. He's not like your divine snowplow. (laughs) But instead, he uses everything, every single thing that you face as a means of grace to strengthen you and to grow you. And like Jacob, through it all, your God is sovereign over it all, in control. And hear me, he will work it all together for the good. We stand on that. Would you pray with me? God, we are, we are so grateful for Jacob and his story. We are, we are so grateful when we see ourselves in Scripture. <laughs> I thank you for the work that you're doing in us right now. I pray for anyone here who is discouraged, for anyone here who is going through an obstacle, for anyone here who is facing their equivalent of an Esau standing right before them, for anyone here who is wrestling through life, for anyone here like Jacob whose life has been a struggle. 
would you in your grace show us that you are in control, you are sovereign, you are good. You have not left us, you have not abandoned us, and you will never leave us or forsake us. Will you show us that, and through that, would you just bring your peace that surpasses all understanding? We are works in progress, and we thank you that you are working in us day by day. We pray as Jesus taught, would you you give us this day our daily bread? We thank you, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen.